0: at keys to flourishing in the city what it takes for us as people who are living in an urban environment in the city to to flourish and grow and today i want to talk about the importance of community and diversity And by community i mean being a part of a group of people that's more than just one or two who you have something in common with who you can share burdens with who you can celebrate things with but at the same time To flourish in the city we need to be able to embrace diversity so so these two these two sort of paradoxical things together i think are what lead to a life of abundance in the in the city our text this morning comes from 1 corinthians 12 it's printed there in your program if you'd like to follow along and it's rather a rather long text today but as i was reading it and thinking about it and reflecting on it it's just It's just one of those uh, profound pieces of writing, so I thought I'd read the whole thing because our time is as well spent reading this as as just uh, me uh, saying whatever I'm going to say. This is the Word of God. He's describing us. He's describing the church. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, and all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts that just one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think less on are we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together and gave greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So today, we're talking about the importance of community, the importance of diversity in the church, because I think one of the things that's ironic, paradoxical about city life is how we can be surrounded by people, even, even have people invading our personal space, and yet feel completely alone. Some of you probably have this experience uh, five or ten times a week, but where you're standing on a subway platform with a bunch of people, and you're all in close proximity to each other, maybe you're all too close to one another, and you're waiting for a train, which is running late, and everybody is crowded on that platform, and yet everybody's alone. Nobody's taking the opportunity to go around and greet people, get to know what their names are to uh, ask them if they're free for dinner tonight, you know, see if they want to go out, or just to tell people, you know, hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you know anyone who might be able to hire me? Or what are you doing this weekend? Did that ever happen on the subway? No, because we're crowded in there together. We're in a part of a crowd, but we're all alone at the same time. And that's, that's a parable for, I think, a lot of city life for a lot of us. You know, you go to the office and you, you, you talk to people but then as soon as work's over they're they're gone, you have your neighbors who you wave to, you you, you see different people doing different things and you're around people all the time, but then you wonder, is there anybody in the city who I can call if I had an emergency? Is there anybody in the city who knows me or knows about me or who would who would uh, who would notice if I just disappeared tomorrow? Because one of our essential needs as humans is community, to be connected to other people. None of us can stand alone. We need, we need to know that there's someone who's going to miss us if we disappear. Someone who's going to help us when we need help. Someone who we can celebrate with if we've got something to celebrate. And that's one of the roles of the church is to form that kind of community and to offer that type of community to everybody. And a functioning church a, a working church is going to be a place where people discover that community with the people they they meet with on sunday the people who they get to know the people who they're they're around during the week who they make a priority to connect with in various ways and, and one of the things that sociologists are tracing is as the as the church declines, as the numbers of people who attend church and who identify with church and are members of the church goes down in America, and that's, that's a very uh, traceable, measurable phenomenon. One of the problems is coinciding with this is this alienation or this growth of loneliness that we have and this loss of, of structures that provide community for us. There's a recent Washington Post article by Christine Ebla from October of last year on the post-church generation, and she, she says that, she says, You know, we all want relationships and transcendence. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, and our drive for those things isn't likely to wane, no matter how ambivalent we might feel about ancient liturgies or interminable coffee hours or even preachers. She says, some of us are turning to convenient, low-commitment substitutes for faith and fellowship, like astrology, yoga, self-care, posting on Twitter, or just playing games. But here's what worries me. These activities are not geared toward building deep relationships and developing communal support as the religious traditions are that we are leaving behind. Actively participating in a congregation means embedding yourself in a community, and this involves you in the lives of others and the other way around, their joys and sorrows, their connections and their expectations. By leaving religion, we're shrugging off the ties that bind, and not just loosen them temporarily. This is freeing in some sense. Finally, no one's bothering me about my life, but then it's not. Much of the conversation that we have today centers around things like workload and debt, Debt. but it's our generation's complaints about relationship culture, family formation, the lack thereof, that seem to be reaching a crescendo. In longer-range studies, researchers are also seeing that we are busier, but we're more lonely. While the phases pass, the underlying needs and wants continue to matter. What happens when sleeping, working, and gaming more than our elders begins to make less sense? If we're closing the church doors behind us, we're going to find somewhere to tend our spirits and our hearts. See, what she's pointing out is that as the church declines, the, the reality is there's 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 a service there's a part of life that is missing, something that's essential to the human being that's missing from all of our lives, and that's why I believe that you know church attendance and things like this will ebb and flow, but the the, the basic human need for connection and community is something that's permanent in all of us, and one of the reasons for the resilience in the, of the church, because. All of us need community in the midst of the crowd. It's one thing to stand on a subway platform and realize you're completely alone, but if you're completely alone 24-7, life starts to get a little bit more desperate. And even though technology has changed things and we live in this high-tech world where we're connected in superficial ways with a lot of, with with people, at the same time, people recognize that we need high touch, we need personal connections with these. We need to go and see people face to face and shake their hand and give them a hug and hear their voice in person, not mediated by some communication device. And a lot of the pathologies that are arising, particularly around depression and anxiety and other things like this, are directly related to the isolation that that we're experiencing in this world. So even though churches is, is is becoming out of fashion even among believers in some some cases. I meet mean, a lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't go to church right now. But uh, even though it, it's out of fashion, it's something that's always needed. There's a, there's a guy named Perry Newhoff, who was a pastor of, of a large church, but he recently retired. And he said he, he hadn't awakening one morning. It was actually on a Sunday morning. He woke up on Sunday morning, wasn't feeling great. The weather was terrible. And he was kind of feeling kind of slow. And he said, and he realized for the first time in, in decades, he didn't have to go to church because he was retired. And so we started thinking, you know, I can uh, download a, a sermon from a preacher who I actually like and listen to some of my favorite songs and then say some <laughs> prayers and I can be done with it before I even get out of bed, right? And uh, why, why bother getting getting dressed up and, and going out and, uh, and and sitting in church and, and doing all that stuff when when I can get all that stuff uh, just, just streamed to me? And then he was thinking about it and he thought about some people who he hadn't seen since last week who he wanted to catch up with and he thought about some of the things he does and some of the little ways he tries to help out and some of the people he's following up on and uh, and some other things that, that he's connected to in the church. And, and he said, he came to a realization then. He said, I realized that I don't go to church. I am the church. You know, you're not here because church is... is uh, event that you take in you're here because each of us by being here become part of the church regardless of what your calling is regardless of what your gift is for some people they get here at 8:30 and they're running around setting up some people are here and they're networkers and they're connecting with people and they know what's going on with everybody and they got a whole spreadsheet full of prayer requests that they're following up on every week And some of us can just barely make it in just to sit down but even just to physically be here to be able to stand up and sit down and, and bow our heads and and uh and lift our voices is to be part of the church to be contributing to something that's bigger than yourself see we don't go to church we are the church we're part of this community we're not just uh members of an audience. And that's what brings us together. You know, the city can be a brutal place for all of us. I mean, city life can crush you. It crushes people every day. I mean, if you work in Manhattan, you can't even walk on the sidewalk and get get from the subway station to your office without stepping over somebody some morning. Because city life can be brutal. And so what we need is a community in that we need somebody who will notice if we're, we disappear because we're sleeping on a park bench one uh, one night and we we'll may, maybe be able to track us down and find us and be able to help us the church provides that community where as as Paul puts it here in the very last verse he says if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it that's that in a sense is the essence of what community. Should I go back to the beginning? <laughs> so, so so that that that's the key to the church, that community that happens. So the first thing- If you're having a good day. But when your big toe breaks, it's really painful and really painful to Realize that you using a big toe all the time. And it's the same way in the church that Paul says, here in verse 22, says, all of us are essential. He says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, without presentable public I think We're all better when we work together. And every, every different gift is a different point of view the way of seeing things. So God gives us different talents and different perspectives, and then God also designed church communities uh, as a, as a, as a church. so that people like, with different backgrounds would we'll all be forced together in one, one unit learn about each other and to learn from each other. So following Jesus always results in a bunch of unlikely people coming together and finding themselves together. Paul talks here about the first church, and, and you know, it's interesting. Look at the very at verse 12, he says, we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Okay, so there's the unity. But then he says, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were given one spirit to so the body is not made of one part but of man. And so, so you know, this is really interesting. You read the New Testament, particularly the letters of Paul, where he's writing to these various churches. One of the things you discover is the early church had all kinds of problems. And it had all these problems because it had all these different people. I mean, if you know, anything about life in the first century, Jews and Gentiles had very different values, very different ways of seeing the, the world, very different priorities. And so they almost couldn't could not offend each other unless they were really trying hard to consider other. And imagine how awkward it was, and it really was awkward, to have slaves and free people, slaves and slave owners in the same congregation. I mean, it really, really was a problem. There's a book, a book called uh, Philemon in the Testament that you can read. And it's really where Paul is writing to, to a guy in the church at Colossae named Philemon and he's saying, remember uh, Onesimus? He was uh, one of your slaves and uh, he ran away, but he's become a Christian and, and, uh, and I think we should try to take him back and not too hard on So they had all kinds of problems, all kinds of challenges in the first church and a lot of the issues that are addressed in Galatians, book the first Corinthians and places like that are, are problems that came from having all these different people together. But you know what one solution they never suggested? I mean, Corinth was a big city. The church at Corinth was a big church. But uh, you know what, what was one solution that was never suggested to solve all these problems? They never said, well, let's let's start uh, first uh, Corinthian church for the Gentiles over here and then across town, the Jewish we'll start the, the church for then we'll have the free people church over here and then we'll have the slave church over here they never said well let's start different churches to uh to uh so that everybody feels at home what paul said is hey we're all one we're followers of christ we're all one and we've got to figure this out we've got to, we've got to apply the gospel to all of our issues and all of our conflicts and make this work And so the strength of the early church. One of the things that, that was was amazing to people about the early church was in the first century, people were much more socially divided even than we are now, except in the early church. And so people would look at the church and say, what are all these people doing together? In fact, it created such a challenge that in the church at Antioch, which was one of the first diverse churches, they, they had to come up with a new name for these people. So we can't call them Jews anymore because they're Gentiles. You know, we can't, it's hard to categorize these so it says in in the book of Acts that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, because they didn't fit into any other neat category. And so that was the strength of the early church. It's also one of the strengths of our region, of New York City. Great of uh, greater New York City is is uh, one of the most diverse places in the world and, and in the country. And Jersey City, by some measures, is the most diverse city in America right now. And uh, and one of the, the things I've noticed about this is, is some of you had this experience. You travel to other countries. Have you ever been in a place where you went room maybe hundreds of people and you realize you were the only person who looked like you. I was I was in uh, Egypt this uh, the last spring, about a year ago and with uh, Samuel, some of you know and we were taking public transport Cairo and I noticed everyone was staring at me. Then I looked around and I realized, you know, there's nobody on this on this train who looks like me. And the main reason for that is I, I started to notice that that pretty much across the board all Egyptian men have great heads of hair. So So that explained it. I was just kinda kinda standing out there was no way to no way to hide. But but one of the remarkable things I, I thought about after that experience, I've heard other people describe having that experience in, in other countries when they traveled where, where you just are, are just aware of, at a certain place in a certain way that people have never seen someone who looks quite like you. But one of the things I didn't realize after that is I, I realized when you get on the subway or you get on the path train at thirty third street and you look around, nobody stands out. You notice that? got every shade of skin, you got every kind of outfit, you're hearing all these different languages, you don't even know what languages people are speaking, and that's, that's just on one of the 17 cars of the path train of people coming to, uh, back, to back to New Jersey. So it's a remarkable thing about our area, how diverse it is, and it's actually one of the great strengths. That's actually why a lot of large companies want to come here, because, because it's much easier to recruit internationally if your company is based in New York City or San Francisco than it is, say, companies based in Birmingham, Alabama or Dallas or other places like that, because because uh, people want to come they're going to come to a to America, they want to come to a place where they know there'll be plenty of diversity where they're going to be so it's one of the strengths of our region one of the reasons that our region continues to thrive because it's a place that people from all over the world want to come to if they're coming to America. But now here's the rub. One of the, one of the strengths of the early church is one of the strengths of our region, but historically it's been one of the great weaknesses of the church. As Martin Luther King said, the most segregated hour of the week is when? When everybody goes to the church. There's no institution that for the, last, for, for the history of America has been more segregated and the church, uh, you know, so just, just to give the example of one other denomination, if you, you notice that when you drive around Jersey City, there's a lot of Catholic churches, right? And uh, but one of the things you notice is, as you look at them closely is that each Catholic parish catered to a particular ethnic group. so there's the, the Polish church, there's the Italian church, the Spanish language services. So there, there are different churches for that type are catering for different people just within the, the Roman Catholic Church, within the Church of Rome. And uh, and, and and that was just the way that the church was structured. If you drive up Grand Avenue and you keep going up up this way you see St. Patrick's Church, one of the biggest churches in town right on Arlington park. going up Grand Avenue, you know what happens, Grand becomes Ocean Avenue, and just a block away from St. Patrick's Church, there's Christ the King Church, which is a Catholic church that was, was built for people of health, God forbid, the, shelter, the church gathering they lived right next to. So that's the way the church has been, and it's not just the Catholics, the Baptists and, and everybody else is honestly just as bad. Um, but that's, that's the way the church has evolved. But, but I, I think that in the early church, like I said, they had all kinds of problems because in one congregation they had Jews and Greeks and slaves and free all all mashed together trying to figure out what the community would look like with all these diverse people together. And that was the strength of the early church. That was something that was attractive about the early church. That was something that was compelling about the early church because no other institutions were like that. Today, every other institution is diverse except for the church, and I think that's why things need to change in the life of the church. I think the future of the church, especially if the church becomes less dominant in our culture, the church of the future is going to be a more diverse church because people who decide they're serious about following Christ, people who've decided to follow Jesus, people who've decided that, that seeking Him is a priority are all going to find a common ground regardless of their background, regardless of what country they they were born in, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their religion. And so so it's going to be a, a new age where the church becomes more diverse and to of more like okay. as Christian becomes less of a cultural consensus, then following Christ is going to be the thing that once again that sets people apart from them. Because people who follow Christ have something in common regardless of their place of birth, regardless of their, place regardless, of their, place regardless, of their place regardless of the color of their skin. And so what will make the church seem authentic is when people from a whole bunch of diverse backgrounds are all following Christ and seeking him together. Because then people will know it really is. About Jesus, and not about some cultural agenda, not about some political agenda, not about some social agenda. And so that's the opportunity for our church in this city, because here we are in one of the most diverse cities in America, but it's also also a, a city with all, all kinds of challenges and problems and, and, uh, and struggles to face. And I think that are unified churches, that are healthy churches, where Christ is at the center, everybody is drawn to Him, are in a position to have a powerful impact in the city of the Because the heart of the gospel is that we're all equal as we stand before Jesus. Because if you really believe the gospel, you know what the gospel says? It says every one of us is morally and spiritually bankrupt. It's just that our moral and spiritual bankrupt looks different from different powers. And all, every one of us is blessed and privileged and beloved. It's just that our blessings are privileged. And our spirit is God's love. That's love. says in the very last thing, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, regardless of your gifts, regardless of your background, regardless of where you're coming from, you're a follower of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. Does it mean being the body of Christ? Remember when Jesus was on earth? Some of you probably heard the story, but when Jesus was on earth, he attracted all kinds of crowds, people went to him and healed them, people who were hungry went to him. And had been people who were flinching and, and talking, them. And Jesus was this magnetic figure that everyone was going to and seeking out for all kinds of help. And, and he had this impact on people. And then you know what happened? Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus, Jesus left this earth. But he said to his disciples, you guys are going to do greater things than I am to you do. And you're better off without me. Because my spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell you and empower you. And so now Jesus is in heaven, but we are the body of Christ. And so that means that we can be his agents here on earth. We can share his love. We can share his grace, we can share his help, just as, just as Jesus was powerfully used, used by God to, to bring the kingdom of God. This only works when our unity and our diversity is in Christ at the center. Father, I pray that you would make this real to us. I pray that you would make Jesus real to us, and I pray that his power and his presence would be something that is transforming and transfixing one of us. Father, regardless of our differences, may we find common ground in him, belonging to him, seeking him and knowing him. Make that make that a, a transformative reality.